Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Sports on a Sunday morning on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. And a key block by the left guard, Tom Ackerman. And right here, let's go downstairs to Bonnie. Marv, if you remember that uh, big run Robert Holcomb had on the first drive, one of the guys responsible on help busting him loose was Tom Ackerman. Tom Ackerman up front, and this is a unit that has played very well. A good night for Eddie George. 21 carries, 74 yards. The left guard, Tom Ackerman, with the block that, that set him free. It's a first down. Man, I was all over the place. Thank you, Marv. Thank you, Bonnie. No, actually, that was the left guard Tom Ackerman for the Titans back then. And the Titans have a big game today, big game, down in Houston because if they win, they are in the playoffs. That's part of the playoff scenarios today we're going to run through. The Texans have already wrapped up the AFC South, winning the division for the fourth time in five games. But the Titans are trying to earn a second playoff berth in three seasons. Tennessee is in if it wins. The Packers are in Detroit. They can clinch a first-round bye with a win over the Lions. Aaron Rodgers would also wrap up home field advantage throughout the playoffs if San Francisco loses. San Francisco plays Seattle today. That will be the Sunday night game. San Francisco and Seattle. That's a great matchup of NFC West rivals The division title is on the line and possible home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The loser enters the playoffs with a wild card berth. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks will welcome back a familiar face. Marshawn Lynch is back with the Seahawks. How about that? After injuries to Chris Carson and Rashad Penny created a void in the backfield. It's going to be a hostile environment in Seattle. Boy, I'll tell you what, I've been to some loud places in my life. I would say that as outdoor stadiums go, the loudest place I've ever been, don't get mad at me, Chiefs fans, loudest place I've ever been is LSU. LSU at home against Alabama back in 2012, I believe was the year, when number one Alabama came in. It's the loudest outdoor stadium I've ever heard. Number two would be Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And number three, in a very close to two, would be Seattle. The Seahawks, that place gets cranked up big time. That'll be the matchup today. The Seahawks and the 49ers and the Packers will be watching that game if they beat the Lions and take care of business. New Orleans can clinch home field advantage in the NFC. They need a win over the Panthers, and they need losses or ties by either San Francisco or Green Bay. Saints could also do it with tie and losses by both the 49ers and the Packers. Anyway, uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he still, to me, is the best player in the NFL. They can earn the AFC's number two overall seed with a first-round playoff bye and a win over the Chargers in Kansas City. They need a loss by New England to the Dolphins. That's not going to happen. Vikings are locked into the sixth seed in the NFC. 
After clinching a playoff berth for the third time in six seasons under Mike Zimmer, they host the Bears, who have just, what is wrong with them? They have a big-time letdown this season. They won the NFC North last year, and they have not been good at all. The Bills have their playoff spot guaranteed. They host the Jets, the Bengals, and the Browns. I would uh, steer away from that one if you can. That's kind of an ugly game. Philadelphia visits the Giants, looking to clinch the NFC East with a win. Eagles could still win the division with a loss, as long as Dallas also loses at home to Washington. Cowboys whiffed on their chance. They really did. They could control their playoff scenario, but they ended up losing at Philadelphia. Now the Eagles are in control. They win today against the Giants. They are in. And, oh, so sad. Farewell to the Coliseum in L.A. for the Rams. A A disappointing season for the Rams. The 96-year-old stadium, their final game there, they're going to move into this SoFi Stadium in Inglewood next season. The Arizona Cardinals are the opponent today, so you get to have the two teams that left St. Louis, the Rams and the Cardinals, playing at the Coliseum. And it is, uh, it's just so sad for the Rams. Missing the playoffs after being in the Super Bowl last year and only mustering a field goal. They'll be watching. And then, oh, by the way, their stadium's like $4 billion over budget. And their salary cap situation is awful. They have like three, four players tied up in half of their salary, half of their payroll. It's, it's pretty bad. Pretty bad out there. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from one of the greats, Ron Jacober. I can't wait to catch up with him. Ron Jacober, the longtime host of this show, Sports on a Sunday Morning. I'm Tom Ackerman. I hope you're enjoying yourselves, making your way to the Blues game. We had a great discussion about the Blues. We heard from Craig Berube. heard from David Perron. We also heard from SLU AD Chris May, who says, come on over. We have a basketball game at 6. Once you're finished with the Blues, keep your city experience going with a visit to SLU. They play today at 6. Tom Ackerman with you back in a moment on KMOX right after this. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Kurt Flood was a brilliant center fielder for the Cardinals for 12 years. A 293 career hitter, his calling card, though, was defense. When was the last time you heard of a center fielder making an unassisted double play? Line drive in the center field, Flood on the run. Makes the catch, and he's going to get a double play. Holy cow, he saved the ball game. He steps on the bag for the double play. Kurt Flood came tearing in. A sure single to center and turned it into an unassisted double play. Holy cow, what a play to end the game on. Kurt Flood is also remembered for challenging baseball's reserve clause at the U.S. Supreme Court. While he lost that decision, it had a great deal to do with creating today's free agency in Major League Baseball. I'm Ron Jacober with another great moment in Cardinal history. Ron Jacober, the Radio Hall of Famer in St. Louis, joins us now on Sports on a Sunday Morning to talk about Kurt Flood and other sports subjects. The former host of this show, Sports on a Sunday Morning. How are you doing this morning? Uh, There's uh, Ron. We'll get to him in just a moment. Uh, Can't hear him very well. Ron, you still there? I'm here, Tom. I'm here. There you go. Uh, yeah. Hey, how long did you do the show, Ron? 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. And, and uh, you you uh, did it with great class. Oh, we just lost him again, I think. I'm having a little trouble with his phone there. Ron's uh, on vacation celebrating the holidays. But uh, here we, 50 years ago, 
Kurt Flood wrote this letter to the commissioner of baseball. He said, after 12 years in the major leagues, I do not feel that I'm a piece of property to be bought and sold irrespective of my wishes. I believe that any system which produces that result violates my basic rights as a citizen and is inconsistent with the laws of the United States and of the several states. It is my desire to play baseball in 1970, and I am capable of playing. I have received a contract from the Philadelphia club, but I believe I have the right to consider offers from other clubs before making any decisions. I, therefore, request that you make known to all the major league clubs my feelings in this matter and advise them of my availability for the 1970 season. Sincerely yours, Kurt Flood. That was Christmas Eve 1969 when Kurt Flood sent that letter to the commissioner of baseball, Ron Jacober. An historic moment in baseball, to be sure. No doubt, Tom. You know, uh, I'm in Colorado, and there was a story in the newspaper here on the 24th, December 24th, about that was the 50th anniversary of Kurt Flood notifying Commissioner Bowie Kuhn. That brought back a whole flood of memories. Because, you know, the younger baseball fans may not know that the reserve clause kept players beholden for life to the team that which they originally signed. And Flood didn't want any part of that. The Cardinals traded him to the Phillies in a seven-player trade. By the way, Tim McCarver was was part of that trade in October of 1969. And um, Flood decided he he was going to challenge that. Uh, He met with Marvin Miller, who was the head of the Players Union, who told Flood the union would fund the challenge to that reserve clause. So it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The interesting thing about that is Flood was – Tom was almost on an island because none of the active players supported him. Well, they may have supported him, but none none of them would join him. So he was out there alone. It went to the Supreme Court. (laughs) The court ruled five to three in favor of baseball. So he lost that, uh, that suit. The interesting thing about the Supreme Court, Tom, is that no active player would testify in his behalf at the Supreme Court. Only two former players, one named Jackie Robinson, and one named Hank, Hank Greenberg testified in, in, uh, for its behalf before the Supreme Court. So he missed the whole 1970 season because he didn't have a – or he wouldn't play. He tried to come back in 71 season with the Washington Senators, and he played, I think, 14 games, something like that. And he just wasn't, couldn't play anymore. But uh, the thing that, the, that I remember vividly, I was a young, very young reporter – at Channel 5, and I went to interview Flood, and I remember interviewing him on the sidewalk outside his apartment in St. Louis, and he said to me that he felt like a $100,000 slave. Well, that caught everybody's attention. In fact, people got very angry about it, this black baseball player calling himself a slave when he was making $100,000 because the average salary in those days was 25000 for the players, and he actually had death threats. I mean, he was uh, he was really uh, discouraged or really uh, chastised, I guess, by a lot of the baseball fans and the media, too. The media was all over him about that. But I remember him telling me he was a $100,000 slave. Wow. That, that, is, that is some story, and you were right in the middle of it. And then, so how did it become that there was free agency? Well, along okay. came Marvin I, Miller. So Marvin yeah, Miller was union chief. And he right. went after that reserve clause again, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But it took four years, Tom. Mm-hmm. And two pitchers, Andy Messerschmidt and Dave McNally, 
decided, and Mr. Smith, by the way, was a great pitcher with the Dodgers. By the way, I should say for the younger fans that Kurt Flood was a great outfielder. Seven gold gloves. gold gloves. Yeah. yeah, won all the gold gloves. He was a terrific player. But when they traded him, it was near the end of his career anyway. But Andy Messerschmidt and Dave McNally decided that they wanted to challenge it, and they did it in a different way. They said, we will play the season without a contract. So they did. They played without a contract, and Mr. Smith had a great season. They said, now we will be free agents. Well, baseball challenged that and went to arbitration. There was an arbitrator named uh, Fred Seitz, I believe. His last name was Seitz. Uh, and he ruled in favor of the players. So all of a sudden, Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally became free agents, and that Peter Seitz, I'm sorry, his name, and uh, they become free agents, and that opened the floodgates, obviously, because not just in baseball, Tom, but in all sports, in all pro sports, there's no question that, that the free agency thing from baseball translated into all the other major sports. By the way, Peter Seitz was fired by the owners the day after he issued that ruling in favor of the players. <laughs> uh, how about this, that you know, you always hope that the players who are making all of this money would know who Kirk Flood is and would understand the history. Well, the player who agreed to a record contract for a pitcher, Garrett Cole, $324 million to pitch for the Yankees. That's basically a million dollars per start. You know, over over the period of time that he's going to pitch in in pinstripes, uh, said that he would like uh, for all the players, and, and talked about Miller and Flood and all the players that have sacrificed for us to get in this position, uh, he'd like people to recognize them, players to recognize them. He said, I hope everyone has that conversation about Kurt Flood. You like to hear that from a pitcher like Garrett Cole or anybody who's playing today for that matter. Well, that's right, Tom, and I'm, I'm happy that he remembered that because I'll bet you can walk into a major league clubhouse these days and ask who Kurt Flood is, and probably not many of the players would know who he was uh, I because it was so long ago, but they don't recognize that. And I think a lot of people think that Kurt Flood belongs in Cooperstown in the Baseball Hall of Fame because he started this. He didn't win that battle, but he opened the battle, and players eventually won it. Miller is going in. Why shouldn't Kurt Flood go in? Uh, that's a good point, and and perhaps that's a conversation for another day as they continue on and talk about that. We played that great play from Kurt Flood during your recap. I played that just before we went on the air, and he was a seven-time Gold Glover as well, a terrific player and a champion, world champion for the St. Louis Cardinals. Ron Jacober is with us. How about Ted Simmons going into the Hall of Fame? About time, oh, right? Oh, my gosh. It's so long. He was the best catcher in baseball history, not in the Hall of Fame. He belonged there a long time ago. And the the crazy part of that was, you know, when he was originally eligible, he got very few votes and didn't reach that 5% level, which you have to reach in that first year to continue. I looked back on that and said, what, what were these guys voting for? Who are these? Did they know anything about baseball? So fortunately, the, the Veterans Committee eventually, uh, as you know, a few weeks ago, uh, elected him into the Hall of Fame with Marvin Miller, by the way, which is kind of interesting. Ron Jacober is with us. Boy, I know I echo the sentiments of many of our listeners that it's great to hear your voice. I get to see you from time to time, but I know they don't get to hear you as often, and it's great to have you back on KMOX. Uh, what do you think of these Cardinals? So you always have a strong opinion. Now, the 2019 Cardinals were one of the last four teams standing. That's good. But uh, how can they? That's, that's <laughs> good. I thought they would do more in the offseason, to be honest with you. I think most Cardinal fans also uh, uh, thought they would do more. But I don't have any problem at all with not, them not getting involved in the, in the mega contracts 
for pitchers. I think to give a pitcher a seven-year contract is insanity. I'm not even talking about the dollars. I'm talking about the years. I just, I'm, I'm not upset with them that they didn't get involved with that. I don't know how good they're going to be. I think there are some issues there. You know, there's some issues there in center field. Certainly, I think the outfield is, is, is the X factor, don't you? We just don't know who's going to be there except the right fielder. You know he's going to be there because of his contract. Yeah, Dexter Fowler, I'm excited to see who those outfielders are. And John Mozalock is coming up next, by the way. We're going to ask him about the outfield and a few other questions. I know he's ready for that. Uh, he hasn't been on in a few weeks uh, during the holidays, so we're excited to hear from him. But, no, you're right about that. I think the pitching has great depth, but it really comes down to can they get consistency offensively? And just shifting gears in our final moments here, uh, the St. Louis Blues, a team that you love for many years, you broadcast for, is the Stanley Cup champion. Look at them now. I mean, they are, you know, Ron, we always watch the Detroit Red Wings and most recently the Chicago Blackhawks, and you always dreaded these teams that would come in and do a number on the Blues and around the league. The Blues are that team now. They don't dominate teams, but they are just that team where at the end of the day, they're skating off the ice the winner. I mean, they are just remarkable what they're doing. Yeah, they don't dominate, but they win. You're right about that. And the astonishing thing to me, and I followed this team forever, did their games for a long time, is the plight of the Blackhawks and the Red Wings. Oh. Those were two dominant teams for years and years and years. You look at them now, they're just a shadow of what they were. I, I don't know what's happened there. It's, it does make me unhappy, mind you. <laughs> I always said anytime the Blackhawks lose, it's a good day. But <laughs> just how I felt about it. But, it, you know, it's amazing how poor those two teams are now. And it, I guess it's cyclical. I don't know any other reason, but the, they were always dominant. You're right about that. The Blues are just amazing. I, I thought there'd be a Santa Cup hangover, but there hasn't been. Not at all. No, not at all. They look great. And you look back in this past decade of sports, it's something when you have a champion at the beginning of the decade in the Cardinals and you have a champion at the end in the Blues, there's not much more, not much to hang our heads about there. I mean, you have your two big pro franchises in town winning. Of course, some things happen. We had a pro franchise leave. Uh, we've had some disappointments in the postseason. But all in all, that's a pretty good decade for St. Louis when you get two world championships out of it. Yeah, I'd like three or four. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Two, two is fine. Yeah, but to me, the story of the decade was really the Rams and that whole story of them leaving and, and the Stan Kroenke thing. And I hope Stan's got his wallet handy because this is going to cost him a lot of money. Yeah, that is. He's going to he's going to pay a big price. Well, you're in Colorado. You you could uh, swing by. He might be around there. He's around there every once in a while. He probably is here somewhere, but you never see him. <laughs> That's right. How's the family, Ron? How's everything? Well, Tom, I'd be lying to you if, it's, if I said it was good. Our son David has cancer, and that's one reason why we came out here. The day we got here, he got pneumonia, and he's been in the hospital for the whole holiday. Uh, we had three grandkids come over from Europe uh, to visit with him and with us for the holidays. They all got six. One of, them got, one of them has the measles. I couldn't write a story like this. Chevy Chase would like it. You could do a, a, a TV reality show with what's happened here over the holidays. And I won't get into a lot of detail, but it's been a, it's been a tough time. Well, please give David a hug from us. We love him, and we know how much he loves those St. Louis Blues and the Stanley Cup champions and all of us here in St. Louis Give our best to you and David and the Jacober family. You are a good man, Ron Jacober. We love hearing you on KMOX once again. Anytime, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. There's Ron Jacober on KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning, his former show. John Mosellock, a regular guest. He'll be next at 1128 here on The Voice of the Cardinals. 
Welcome back to the Munganass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munganass St. Louis Honda on South Limburg. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. David Freeze. Swing it along one in the right. Get up, baby. Get up. Get up. It's at the wall. It is off the wall. One run in. Here comes Burton. Over to third goes Freeze. We're tied 7-7. Seven, seven. Yeah. How about that? That's how the decade started, 2010 and then 2011 right there, a world championship for the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Blues finish it with a Stanley Cup. We've been looking back at the decade in sports in St. Louis and looking ahead to 2020. And joining us is the president of baseball operations, John Mosellock at 1132. Mo, good morning. I remember after that game six going down into the clubhouse right outside the manager's door, it was you, me, and Bill DeWitt the third, and I looked at you, and you looked at me, and we said, "Wow, <laughs> that was that was unbelievable! What a way to start uh, the decade and to finish out a World Championship." Well, good morning, and you're right. I mean, very exciting times, and you know, you think back to that World Championship, and there's there's so many memories, and there's there, there's also a lot of just things that are a blur, and. You know, taking the time and, and sitting back and, and, and relishing in that, I'll probably do sometime in my retirement, but I really have never just sat and watched all seven games or, or you know, tried to reflect on that period because, as, as many of you remember, that's uh, the next day Tony LaRusa had stepped down as manager. And then, uh, of course, we had that off season of that negotiation with Albert Pujols. So it was really sort of nonstop and, and, uh, but as I look back at, at the last 10 years, you know, there's a lot to be proud of. And um, it, it's something that, you know, you take a lot of pride in knowing that you, you never had a losing season and uh, certainly uh, some very competitive teams. I remember the off season very well. And after the parade, Tony informing everybody that he was stepping away and you hired Mike Matheny. Mike went right to work in 2012. Team went to the postseason. 2013, they went to the World Series and took the Red Sox to a game six at Fenway and lost it. 14, the NLCS against the Giants. 15, team won 100 games and was banged up, had injuries, players moving up and down, and still won 100 games. The Cubs started to come up at that time, though, and the Cardinals just missed the postseason a few years, and then back in 2019, and you hired another manager. You know, that's a big part of your job. Everybody talks about the the transactions and looking and scouting players and moving players in and out, but hiring a manager is a huge decision uh, tell us about the Mike Schilt hire and how that came about when you recognized, and you talked about this a little bit in Atlanta, but how you recognized Mike Schilt was the next one for you. Well, you, you're always looking at building your pipeline, whether it's for managers, coaches, players, scouts. Um, it's, it's always about making sure that, that if someone should leave, that you have someone that can step in and do it. I mean, that's, that's, you know, any successful business sort of runs with that type of mentality or, or strategy. And in our case, you hire somebody like Mike Matheny, who's, who's young, who's, who's stepping into a, a, a very dynamic or organization. You're not necessarily thinking about what his replacement would look like, just given the fact that he's getting that opportunity. But as the years went on, we start to realize that change might need to happen. <clears throat> and so ultimately, excuse me. No, it's, a, it's that <laughs> time of year. Fighting, fighting a cold, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 
Mike Schultz was someone that, that came up through the organization. He was always someone that had that presence that you knew there was more in there and there was more of a future. And so for him to, to get this opportunity, it wasn't like just one striking event that said, oh, he might be a big league manager, but it was something that I think that he always was preparing himself for that next step. And successful people are thinking that way. And he is someone that, that wanted to prepare himself for the opportunity so if he ever got it, he could run with it. And he has. He was able to take this team to the NLCS in his first full season. Mike Schilt, the National League Manager of the Year. And moving ahead to 2020, he has a, a task on his hands to keep this team at that level, the National League Central Champions, and hopefully beyond. Uh, the players that he has to work with, looks like you have a good team. I'm not saying that you're done, but if you look right now at the depth you have in pitching, the depth you have in the outfield, for sure. Uh, and in, in other areas, this is a pretty strong team moving ahead as it stands right now, John Mosellock. Yeah, look, we're pretty excited about our club. Um, we're not at January 1 yet. We're still about six full weeks before we, we get to Jupiter. But, you know, the clock's ticking. We get it. And, um, you know, we'll keep uh, paying attention to not only the free agent market, but also the uh, the trade market if something makes sense for us. But, you know, certainly the, the last uh, six weeks have, have flown by and, um, you know, we're excited about the additions we've made. But we went into this offseason knowing it was going to be one of those that, that was not going to be headliners or win the offseason or whatever phrase you want to use because we had a strong belief in our club and, and we really feel like we have a lot of talent. I feel like we have a lot of young talent that, that needs to emerge and, and be given that opportunity. And if, if that happens, um, should be an exciting year for us. The outfield in particular has a lot of uh, opportunity there, both from a speed standpoint, a little power, and there's some great fielders as well. You have a, an ample opportunity for somebody to emerge in each spot, although one of them we know, right? I mean, Dexter Fowler is going to be back. If you look back at Fowler's 2019, what encouraged you, John Mosellock, in what appeared to be really a nice bounce back for him? And what are some of the things you'd like to see a little more out of Dex? Well, I think like last year, the, the one thing that stands out is, you know, he felt confident in his game and knew he could contribute. In terms of what you hope to see this, this coming year, again, is just build on that consistency. Um, when you look at, at our overall club last year, and, and so not just saying this is on Dex, but overall from an offensive, offensive standpoint, more contribution from, from all positions would be something that we'd welcome. And, you know, for us to truly be successful, that's ultimately what you're going to need to see happen. I was walking my dog the other day, and one of my neighbors said, Hey, Ackerman, so this lefty, you know, what do you think? I mean, is he going to get it done? Is this, is this the guy? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to see what he looks like in Jupiter. I can tell you what I've seen on YouTube. He's got a great slider. But I, I said, I know this. The Cardinals have been scouting internationally for a long time. They have a pretty good track record over there. John Mosellock, I would feel that uh, between Matt Slater and other members of your front office who have done the legwork here, you have uh, enough information on KK that you feel like this is someone who has some experience that can get some stuff done for you. Yeah, I think that's correct. I feel like the most important thing that's changed probably in the last 10 years is just our analytical confidence on being able to take performance from Korea or Japan and then translate that back over here. And, and so 
it obviously becomes easier for all of us here in the States to do that when you have more and more players coming or more and, play, more, and more players coming back here. So as we look at what KK did over there, you know, we feel pretty confident that he'll be able to fit in nicely to what we're trying to do. And when we were looking at the market, we felt like this was a, a pretty low risk shot for us to try. And, you know, given the success we have had with players coming back over here, we thought it made a lot of sense for us to go down that path. Well, what's the latest with Carlos Martinez? You've been so gracious to update us on his status. I know that he was going to start a throwing program. How's he doing? Um, you know, I think he's going well. I honestly haven't had a whole lot of conversation <laughs> with our training staff over the last week or so, so no major updates. Um, I'll probably re-engage with our group tomorrow and, and just really see where everybody's at. So hopefully next week I'll have a better answer for you. That would be good. We appreciate that. And uh, there are, of course, uh, a few health questions that we'll touch on next week. Finally, just to wrap up, I mean, you just look overall at uh, what the Cardinals in 2020 will look like. The division uh, is interesting. And I know you've told me that you don't make moves based on division, uh, but uh, the, the, it looks like, I'll just say, a competitive division. I mean, I'm not really sure what the Cubs and Brewers will look like a few weeks from now. I'm not sure what the Cardinals will totally look like a few weeks from now. I know what the Reds look like. And the Reds are starting to throw some money around. They've improved, haven't they? They look tough. Well, well, they have. And, and obviously, I think, you know, looking back at, at their past year, they made a lot of their transactions based on 2020. And so that's been their focus. And, you know, I think... Overall, our division is going to be competitive, just as it is year in and year out. It just might be a different team or two that's starting to emerge and, and, and be that team that's going to be more competitive. But, you know, I, I do caution everybody right now that there's still a lot of time in our off season. Um, we, we sort of gravitate to that sort of magical, the holidays have, have come and gone and all teams are set. But the reality is, is there's a lot of time and there's still a lot of trade rumors going around in terms of what may or may not happen. And so when you really look at our division, I think there's a lot of question marks. There's no denying that the Reds have improved, but, you know, certainly when you look at, at how it's going to play out, it's a bit premature to de- make that determination. Right. And I uh, just to go back to the Goldschmidt trade, you know, not saying you're going to make some mega trade here, but how, how did the Goldschmidt trade come about, right? Arizona let it be known that he was available. And once that happened, those phone calls between you and the Diamondbacks were pretty frequent, weren't they? They are, but when you think about those types of trades, there's really only a handful of, of teams that can actually engage in those types of deals. One is, do you have a need for a first baseman? Two, do you have the prospects to actually acquire that type of player? And three, do you have the financial means to want to do that? And so when you start to like really peel back the onion on these types of things, there's really only a few places these types of players can go. And, and then when you also think about some of these more larger deals, does the player have control on where they go? Um, think about like the Stanton um, exercise we went through two years ago when we were looking at possibly acquiring him. He had a blanket, no trade, so he really controlled where he'd go. And so ultimately, uh, there were a few players involved in that in terms of teams, but ultimately he decided that he wanted to go one place, and it was up to them to try to make it work, and, and they finally did. 
Well, we look forward to the rest of this offseason. We know that the team will be taking a look at all possibilities. We have the winter warm-up right around the corner, the baseball writer's dinner, the caravan. We're going to be off and running. 2020 is right around the corner, John Moselock. It really is. I'm looking forward to it. I wish everybody a happy new year and uh, talk next week. Happy new year to you. Great to chat with you, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. There's the president of baseball operations of the St. Louis Cardinals, John Mosellock. It's 1144, Chris Blair, the president of Gateway, the Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, is going to be with us to talk about a mega deal they put together. That is a massive sports complex now. They just almost doubled in size. We'll tell you why and how. Golf is involved. It's next on KMOX. Welcome back to the Munkadass St. Louis Honda Sports on a Sunday morning. Munkadass pre-owned on South Limburg on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning. This is our final segment. James O'Sullivan, our producer, has done a fine job as always. I'm Tom Ackerman, and joining us is the president of Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway, the general manager, I should say, and he's a good man. Uh, he and Curtis Francois, what a one-two punch they are. Curtis is the owner of that great track and now the owner of a golf course. How are you, Chris Blair? Welcome to KMOX. I'm doing great, Tom. And like I said, I'm, I'm just happy to be along for the ride when it comes to working for Curtis. Uh, it's uh, lots of great things happening. Uh, no doubt about it. Well, here's the story. So Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway announced just the other day that they have acquired Gateway National. Gateway National is the 220-acre golf course adjacent to the Speedway. Gateway National Golf Links is still going to operate under Walters Golf Management. Jeff Smith does a terrific job with them. They are the leading golf course management company in the Midwest, and now they are linked with Curtis Francois and Chris Blair. That, if I'm doing my... I was not a math major at Indiana University, but... My understanding is you're now around 600 acres total between the two. Is that about right? That's correct. And, you know, when I started here in uh, late uh, 2012, it was uh, just a 150-acre racetrack. And, you know, Curtis keeps advancing uh, the cause and expanding the footprint. And uh, one of the goals that he had is that, you know, this area becomes a premium destination for entertainment. So now with the cardplex and the golf course and all the events that we're doing at the racetrack, it's really becoming uh, a, a substantial entertainment option for St. Louis. Yeah, what a draw that is. So gate, how did this come about? Gateway National is fantastic. It's located, as I mentioned, right next to the Speedway. Just like your track, you can see the arch from many areas of the golf course. It's a very popular course, very well, uh, lots of traffic, but in great condition always. How did this come about? Well, Curtis has been friends with Jeff for many, many years, and uh, they've you know they've been a great neighbor under their old uh, ownership group. And but it's one of the things you have to kind of uh, always be looking down the road at what could happen. And you know, while we've had great uh, neighbors of the the old group, there's always that possibility of what if someone came in and uh, uh, decided there was other things they wanted to do with the property, or if they decided that they didn't like race cars running next door when they were uh, having their uh, their busy days. So I think it was more of a move for Curtis just to make sure that uh, we're protected all the way around so that uh, you know we don't have to take any uh, chances that we, we do get a bad neighbor if uh, if he's the, the one in charge. And it just, it just will just work. So uh, it's been a long time coming. I know they started talking uh, quite a while ago. This has been about a one-year process. Uh, 
we originally thought that we'd be making some announcements earlier in the year, but uh, you know, Curtis is very uh, uh, cautious and wanted to make sure everything was signed, filled, and delivered. And you know, they did the final walkthrough uh, on the 27th, and a little bit later that day we put the release out. So uh, it's exciting for sure. Absolutely. Chris Blair is with us from Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. Good year for you. As we wrap up 2019, you look back. I mean, you had yourself uh, all three. You're the only one in the world that has all three, NASCAR, IndyCar, and NHRA. All were successful events. Uh, You have to feel pretty good in particular about that IndyCar crowd. That was another great one for you. And IndyCar now is starting. These fans are starting to look at your track as one of the highlights of the year. Yeah, that's for sure. I saw just a couple of reports from both Auto Week and from uh, NBC Sports that you know they were ranking as one of the top races. IndyCar was very happy with the race, and so it's it's a, got a lot of positives going for it. And you start taking a look back at 2019 and trying to figure out just our own personal top five of what was uh, exciting this year, uh, and it all really rolls back to that announcement with Worldwide Technology. Uh, Curtis put that program together through his relationship with Dave Stewart and. You know, it just keeps going and going. And uh, this has actually been an amazing year. You look back on it, and there's just so many things that happened. And, uh, you know, 2020, we're going to have a lot of, we have to do a lot of great things in order to top it. But uh, it was a fantastic year for sure. It's no secret that you're chasing a NASCAR Cup race. We've heard a little bit about that here and there. What can you tell us, update us, if you would, on that pursuit? Well, I can just tell you, every morning when I wake up, and I know every morning when Curtis wakes up, but you know, our goal that day is what can we do to take one step closer uh, to making that a reality. And, uh, you know, we're uh, we're trying to be at all the right places. We're you know, talking to the right people. And, you know, really it boils down to trying to get the community behind it. You know, we have a lot of vocal race fans, uh, everybody from Kenny Wallace to some of our uh, our diehards. Uh, we've got a couple of guys that are just uh, hammering all the NASCAR officials on uh, social media. Josh Kaner and some of those guys. They're always tweeting about you need to come to St. Louis, and you know that's what it takes. It takes an effort from everybody to to make these things happen. Just like the MLS for the Lou, you know, it was fan support that made that happen, and you know the race fans here in St. Louis and and sports fans in general in St. Louis and community leaders need to let NASCAR know that if there's a race here, they'll support it, that they want to race in this market. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to rally the troops, let everybody know what's happening. And uh, you never know, it, uh, we're, we're a lot closer than I thought we were a few years ago. Uh, we still got to you know, gather that support and get the people uh, rallying for us. How big of an impact is it on a city when NASCAR picks you, when you become part of their rotation? You know, we've been doing a lot of the economic impact studies that's all across the board. It's usually around a $100 billion impact for uh, a cup weekend because it's usually more than just the, the cup race. It's everything that's associated with it. And, uh, you know, it, that's the equivalent of having some of the NCAA uh, games here. Uh, you know, there's just so many things that you can do. So it's a huge impact. And it really opens up the city just to more opportunities and more tourist, tourism. You know, we take a look at what's happened just in the IndyCar event. The number of people that now are making St. Louis a uh, vacation destination on the off-race weekends because they see all the cool things that we have to offer here. And it's just another one of those things that opens the doors up and makes St. Louis more appealing in the outside market. I'll tell you what, that uh, St. Louis Aquarium with the soda fountain and the Ferris wheel and the beer garden and restaurants all sandwiched between two sports venues, Enterprise Center and the new MLS Stadium, sounds pretty good to me. I mean, that's just one. And then you have, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals, when they're playing, uh, have a, a huge audience. You're right. And then beyond that, you think about all the 
the breweries and restaurants and parks and, and museums and music venues, things to do in St. Louis. That's really has to be encouraging for someone like you who's mostly bringing in people from the outside. That's true. That's been one of the things that, you know, in traveling to everywhere from Daytona to Road America, Indianapolis, I hear all these fans tell us they'd love to come here because, number one, we're so close to downtown. We're closer to downtown than any other racetrack in the entire industry. And then just the fact that there's so many things to do in St. Louis, so it packages it up. And that's some of the things we're going to be working with, with the, the folks over at LHM, with the aquarium and the Ferris wheel, and the things we're already doing with Ballpark Village is what we, how we can you know, show that it's a weekend destination, that it's more than just a race or more than just a trip downtown. It's all-encompassing. And that's one thing. I saw there was a recent study that said St. Louis is one of the top 25 tourists. It lost you a little bit. Top 25 tourist destinations. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, if we can just kind of get all that uh, you know, tied together and all of us working together, uh, there's no limit to what we can be doing to get more people in here for races, baseball games, everything else. Oh, that's so true. I mean, you want to go you know, play around at the casino, you can do that. You want to go out and take a little beer tour, you do that. If you're with the kids, you want to go to one of the best zoos in the world, do that. See the art museum. We have so many attractions, it's remarkable, and it's great to have uh, – you know, new people experiencing that, and that's what we're shooting for here uh, as we yeah. take a look at the growth of this racetrack. Congratulations on the announcement, Gateway National. I'm really curious to see how that new acquisition changes things here in St. Louis. Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway and Gateway National Golf Links announcing last week, actually earlier, just a few days ago, that they have joined forces. It is now owned by Curtis Francois and still operated by Jeff Smith and Walters Golf Management. Chris Blair, appreciate the time very much. Always great having you on Sports on a Sunday morning. Hey, thanks, Tom. You know, that's one thing. I didn't realize how popular we were with race car drivers until we made this announcement. Everybody's wanting to come race and play golf. So You're darn right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us. This has been Sports right. on a Sunday morning on KMOX. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.